anyway, it was great. You know what you did, Dave? It was like this, you took Jesus from here to here. Jesus went from this big to this big. He became magnanimous in our minds and in our hearts. And I thank the Lord for you and for that message. So now on the heels of that, like how big Jesus is, we go right to this, verse 24, chapter 1, verse 24. Let me just read it, and then we'll walk, walk through it. Paul says, Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. This mystery! What is it? Which is, read it with me, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we might present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I, Paul, strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. There's another clue. Remember Dave mentioned last week, Paul didn't even know the Colossians, and here's another clue. He, they, he hadn't met them, but he heard about them, and he writes them this letter. My goal is that they might be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they might know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit, and I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So chapter 1, verse 24, he starts off. He says this, Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. I'm suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what's still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Again, I'm suffering for you. What's he saying there? Like that somehow the cross of Jesus wasn't quite big enough and there has to be more suffering? No. Let's get this straight. Jesus Christ's death on the cross was good once for all time. There's no need to like you know, do more to somehow improve on what Jesus did. That's not what Paul's saying. But Jesus did say that all men are going to hate you as a result of me. He did say, blessed are you when people persecute you and they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Jesus said, rejoice and be glad because in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus was pretty open about the fact that in this world you will have trouble. So it's Jesus' death on the cross didn't put an end to suffering. And by the way, this suffering here is not illness. This is persecution. Let's not confuse the two. 
I can't, I can't say, oh, I'm struggling to pay my bills, you know, and so I'm suffering. No, 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 no. This is, I'm living for Jesus full on, and I'm getting the snot kicked out of me as a result of it. That's this kind of suffering. And Paul says, I'm suffering for Christ. Look at what he says next. I've become a servant by the, it's servant, by the commission God gave me. So he's saying, God has literally, the God of the universe has literally commissioned me do this ministry and here I am suffering as a result of it and I rejoice Woo! bring it on right remember Paul is writing this from jail he's being chained to a Roman guard as he writes these words and he writes them to the Colossians and to the Laodiceans we met them too Colossae and Laodicea were sister cities they were relatively near one another and they they did trade with each other, and Paul's intention was this letter would first go to Colossae, and then they'd read it at that church, and then somebody would deliver it over to the Laodicean Christians, and it probably even made it around to a few other churches before it got lost or, you know, it, got, it, it stopped its cycle. So he's referring to the Colossians and to the Laodiceans. The Colossians and the Laodiceans were not enduring persecution at this time. They weren't suffering for Christ. They were living in, you know, relative comfort. Now, Paul is suffering. Paul is being persecuted. He's in Rome writing this, probably, being persecuted. But the Colossians and the Laodiceans were not. And so Paul says, do you see his heart? I'm like suffering for you guys. I'm taking this hit for you so that maybe you don't, so that you could be free. If I take the hit, now you're free and you can pursue what Jesus is wanting to do, right? You can go for it. Paul's stuck in jail. Not much he can do about it, but you're free. I'm taking a hit for you. It makes me wonder, and this really is not the point of this morning's message, but I can't skip it because this verse is right there. But it just has made me wonder if you and I as American Christians are not like the Laodiceans and the Colossians. Let's face it, we don't, we don't deal with a whole lot of persecution, I mean, honestly, right? My kids aren't being beheaded for their faith like they are in Iraq. See, so it's not like you and I are really suffering a whole lot for Jesus. I mean, sure, maybe your friends at work make fun of you once in a while, big whoop. That's not really persecution. I wonder, though, if this very moment, as children are being beheaded in villages, Actually, correction. They're not being beheaded for their faith. They're being beheaded for our faith. Are they not our brothers and sisters? Are we not in the same family? Same family. So it's not their faith they're dying for. It's our faith they're dying for. They represent us as they get martyred for our faith. As Paul says, I'm suffering for you. I, I, in a sense, I'm representing you guys in this jail cell getting beaten every day I'm representing you so now the question for you and me is this how then shall we live if we have our brothers and sisters who are 10 and 11 and 12 getting beheaded for our faith what does that do for you and me here in the comfort of the United States I'm guessing our response ought not to be to numb ourselves with more TV 
And our response ought not to be, you know, sending out more Facebook posts about how bad things are. I mean, come on. Right? What ought our response to be to that? Ought it to be we watch them die and then we line up and say, go ahead. I'll be next if you want. But there's no way in hell I'm giving up on Jesus Christ now. Right? I don't know, I'm just saying. I think there's a, and I know I cursed there, but maybe that's where it fits. I don't know, I'm just saying. So Paul goes, I'm suffering for you guys. That's not even the sermon, wow. So now, okay, so we get in. So the next one, Paul goes, I'm, I'm presenting this, I'm, I'm, I'm suffering for this message, this, this gospel, this word that I'm trying to get to you guys. And he goes, this message is a mystery, right? You see that next? It's this mystery, and it's been hidden from the very beginning of time. This mystery has been there. If you think about, like, all of the Old Testament greats, the Abraham and Moses and Sarah and, and Ruth and Esther and David and Solomon and Elijah and, you know, all these Old Testament greats, they lived with this mystery. They didn't know what it was. Like, these guys, they saw something. Hebrews 11 says they, they they, they looked ahead to what was to come, but they didn't even know what it was. They, like their faith was incomplete even, as it were, because he was, they were waiting for you and me to complete it. But they didn't know that. All they knew is that I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm following God, I'm trying to obey God, and there's this mystery, and I don't quite wrap my brain around it. And Paul goes, now, right now, you and I know the mystery. The mystery has been revealed. The mystery. It's a multi, many thousands of years old mystery. You and I have, okay, on this side of the revelation of the mystery, it might not be that big a deal, but I'm thinking when Abraham finally saw it, he probably did flip-flops, right? Because he went, thousands of years this mystery existed, and now in your day and mine, it's revealed. And Paul says, what's the mystery? Here's the mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Wow. Can you say that with me? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now you can personalize it. The mystery is Christ in me, the hope of glory. Look at the person next to you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery. Break this down for a second. So look at Christ, the second person in the Trinity. Hello. The one that David was talking about last week, who's before all things and above all things and holds all things together. He's supreme. He's on top. He stands alone. The Son of God, the, sec the Messiah, the second person in the Trinity. Christ. Where? Friends, that's a game changer. If I play basketball and I claim that somehow I have a supernatural ability inside to play basketball, would you expect me to make more shots? Yeah, otherwise you go, I don't think you have what you think you really have. Right? Oh, no, man, I'm supernatural. Woo! Missing balls everywhere, right? No, I guess I'm not. The second person in the Trinity dwells within you. 
That's a game changer. It's a mystery, which tells me this, that every time I look at it, I see something different. There is a mysterious element to this. I don't get it. How does the second person of the Trinity live inside of me? I don't know. Do I have to understand it in order to enjoy it or walk in it? No. It's a mystery. It also means that every time I look at it, I see it from a new angle. There's something new to discover about it. It's continuous. It's, it's, it's not static. It's constantly growing. There's something, you know, there's something new to learn and to grab about it. It's a mystery. Christ in me, the hope. Uh-huh. Hope is to my soul what air is to my lungs. Hope is to my soul what water is to a fish. Hope is to my soul what electricity is to a light bulb. Want me to go on? Hope is to my soul what cheap suits are to used car salesmen. Right? I mean, hope... Hope is the very thing that you and I live off of. Like it's the soil from which anything good in your life is birthed. Hope is. Hope is the soil. Or let me put it this way. Let's flip it and make it negative. It might bring some light to it. I ask you, has hopelessness ever produced anything in your life? Can you think of anything in your life, any fruit, any benefit in your life that's come from hopelessness? Right. Hope is the soil out of which the fruit that God wants to bear in your life gets, it grows and gets born. Hope. Hope. Hope is rooted in the future, right? But it works backwards into the present and benefits the present. Hopelessness is rooted in the present and it ruins the future. hope. You know you're living fully in hope when the impossible starts to look logical. That's when you've arrived. Right? When you're looking at dead and you go, I, that's going to live. And everybody else says, that's illogical. No, it's logical. That makes perfect sense. I see it. You're fully living in hope when the impossible starts to look logical. And as Christians, friend, is there anybody that ought to be filled, that's filled with more hope than us. I mean, the person on this planet who's the most hopeless is the atheist. What do they have to hope for? Really, hope is uh, just, it's an oxymoron to an atheist. I mean, they've got nothing to hope in. But you and I have everything to hope for. Every area of your life that's not dominated by hope, any area of your life that's not just absolutely shimmering with hope, is dominated by a lie. It's under the thumb of Satan. It needs to be set free. Whatever it is that you're hopeless about, we've got to put that under Jesus. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Glory tells me that this hope is divine. Tells me that there's something really otherworldly about this. There's something... uh, There's something unique about this. There's something heavy. There's something weighty about this. There's something that's, you know, 
that say it all? I know that's not a word, but it's glory. That's what it is. It's Christ in you, the hope of, whoa. It's it's the hope of glory. It's otherworldly. It's divine. Paul says that's the mystery. That is the mystery. That thousands and thousands of years, Abraham, Abraham couldn't experience that. Everybody in the Old Testament, God would come on them for periods of time. You know, the Holy Spirit would come on them. And then we, on, we. Now, Jesus lives in. Even John the Baptist, as great as John was, Jesus said the least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. The least of us here is far greater than John the Baptist. The least of us here has experienced more and has greater potential than John the Baptist ever had. Why? Because John the Baptist was part of the old guard. The Holy Spirit was on John the Baptist. In his wildest imaginations, could he have not dreamed of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit would come into somebody and move from within them. Wow. I believe John the Baptist would envy you and me. He'd look at you and say, man, I wish I could taste that. I'd love to have tasted that when I walked this planet. You imagine everything he did? I mean, my goodness. Imagine what he could have done if the Spirit actually lived in him as opposed to was on him. Right? I think those guys salivate at the opportunity that you and I Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then Paul goes on to say, he is the one, Jesus is the one, I promise I'll go quicker. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we might present everyone fully mature in Christ. Hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Your maturity is measured by your level of hope. A hopeless Christian is just an immature Christian. Because hope is, I mean, the more mature you are in Christ, the more hopeful you become, the more dominated by your life. To this end, Paul says, I strenuously contend with all the energy. Man, I am working hard for you people. That's what he says. I am... I am dogging it out here for you guys. I want you to get this. You hear him? Verse verse 1, chapter 2. I want you to know, he says it again, how hard I'm. (laughs) Paul's like, man, I am really sweating it out for you guys. You got to get this. And then he goes, verse 2, my goal, my goal, what I'm aiming for, what I'm shooting for here is that you might be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they might have the full riches of complete understanding. Oh, stop there. Wait a second. Two, two pieces to this. Encouraged in heart, united in love, so that you might have the full riches of understanding. How do you fully understand this mystery of Christ in you that's at work? Well, encouraged in heart, united in love. My, my ability to hope, my, my hope, it's like, the, it's like the soil, man, that it's what I grow out of. But it's not just me, it's united in love. That's why 
That's why we're so big on being a part of a life group. And it's not just showing up in somebody's living room once a week, although that's great. I love showing up in people's living rooms, eating their cookies. It's perfect. But it's not just about that. It's, it's more about the locking arms with one another in fellowship. It's uniting in love. There's something that happens there when I'm united with my brothers and sisters in love. And then we grow together. We begin to get this mystery that we've got. And look at this. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ, follow this, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, right? And where is Christ? <laughs> so where are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? Hey, what do you know? Not so far away. Pretty close at hand. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. I don't want you to get lied to, man. And there's a lot of slick, slick salesmen out there, you know, that are giving you slick stuff. I don't want you to get sucked into that. And then, because even though I'm not with you, he says, you know, I'm just, I delight to see what God's doing in your heart. I, I'm delighted. That's, that's his heart. You see his heart. I love that about Paul. He's never met these people and yet he's bleeding for him, you know? He's, he's never met him, and yet he's working his guts out so that, they would, so that they would know this mystery of Christ in them, the hope of glory. I love that about this guy. So how do we apply this? Just a couple of applications, and then we'll wrap it up. The first application is this. A lot of times we Christians, we live as priests and fail to live as ambassadors. What I mean by that is this. The Bible calls us priests. Yes, absolutely. We're all priests in Jesus. And a priest's job is to represent people to God. That's what the priest does. The priest is a mediator between people and God. But don't forget, the Bible also calls you an ambassador, which means you represent heaven to earth. You're heaven's ambassador here. Your job is not just to die and go to heaven. Your job is to actually die and bring heaven here die to yourself, what I'm saying. Bring heaven here. That's your job. Don't forget, yes, you're a priest. Absolutely. You are also an ambassador. Christ in you, the hope of glory, means that you are a renegade of hope in a hopeless world. And everywhere you go, you're just this like seed of hope, you know, that, that infuses where you are with truth, with light, with grace, with hope. That's you. You're an ambassador of heaven here. First thing. Second thing is this. Christ in you is the down payment of a future payout, right? It's the hope of glory. So there is a future element to this. There's a hope of glory someday. So that makes Jesus in you the down payment of the hope of glory. Okay, now, if the down payment is the second person in the Trinity, can you imagine what the payoff is? Okay, you didn't get nearly as excited about that as I did. Does that fry your brain? I mean, my brain just goes... If the down payment that I've been given is Jesus Christ... The payoff, can words even begin to describe it? 
I, I can't even. I think we're at a loss. But I know this, it's truly awesome. If you could ever use the word awesome, that would be the spot you would use it. It's awesome. Pizza, good, not awesome, right? Red Sox, fine, but not awesome. This, awesome. That's what this is. And then the last point is this. The last application is, and this is really what I, oh, I come back full circle to where we started. You and I have the choice. We can either live out of our brokenness or out of our wholeness. And a change of thinking has to occur in order for that transition to be I can either live out of the brokenness that I come from or out of the truth that Christ is in me, the hope of glory. It's like my first illustration. I get married. I can either remain to think like a single person or I can change my thinking and begin to think like a married guy and function differently. See that? And... Yeah, I come to know Jesus as my Savior, and that's awesome. Signed the card, got baptized, fantastic. Got the Bible, perfect. Except I've come out of this brokenness. My life was very broken before Jesus came. And I live in a very broken world. It's very broken. Everything's broken, is it not? I mean, just look around you. Stuff's broken, falling apart every day. And, it, and it's, I'm not saying that to poo-poo the world. I, I love, you know, I'm, I'm with Glenn. It's gorgeous. The colors are beautiful. There's a lot of beauty in our world. But let's face it, there's brokenness. There's, there's illness. There's, there's crime. There's, there's kids being sold into slavery. There's poverty. There's I mean, brokenness. And we live in that every day, right? But we've been, we've been saved out of that. And now I have a choice. Do I continue to live in my old brokenness? Or do I begin to live in the wholeness? Christ in me, the hope of glory. I don't do the world any good if I stay broken. I just don't. And this applies in so many simple areas. You know, I find brokenness is so common in our lives, we don't even think about it. And my prayer is that maybe today the Holy Spirit would highlight something in your own life to go, oh yeah, that's me living out of brokenness. That's just an old habit. That's all that is. That needs to go. I pray that he would reveal that to you. But it's simple. Sometimes it's so simple. Just the other night, I was in a really rotten mood for like 45 minutes. About all the longer it lasted. But I was kind of like, you know, not, not really a happy camp. And then I'm thinking through this message for today. I have to preach to you guys. It'd be great if I could just stay mad, but I can't because I have to show up here on Sunday morning. So the other night, I'm, you know, so I'm in this thing, right? I'm in this mood. And I hear the Holy Spirit go, well, here's your opportunity, Ralph. Brokenness. For Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm like, oh, I see that. Okay. Me and my rotten mood, that was brokenness. I'm, and I can live in brokenness. 
I'm used to living in brokenness. That's normal. That actually kind of feels normal even at times, doesn't it? Because it's what I'm so used to. Or I can choose Christ in me, the hope of glory. I can walk in the wholeness that Jesus has given me. Right? The choice is yours. The choice is yours. I'm just convinced that you and I dare not become so comfortable with brokenness that we excuse it. Friends, you, you it, no, it's, it's just not right for kids to have diabetes. That ain't right. That ain't right. Do we love them enough? Do we, we where's our hope? We say, man, we're going to fast and pray. We're going to break through this, right? It ain't right that kids are getting killed every day. It ain't right that kids are enslaved. It ain't right, man, for people to die of cancer. That ain't right. That's part of this broken world we're all, you know, caught up in. It's like all these thorns that have grown around and gnarled us, and right? And sometimes we get so comfortable, like, oh, I guess we're just, we're just supposed to stay here in these thorns. But Christ in me, the hope of glory. Let's speak into the thorns, you know, let's, Let's be a, a beacon. I don't know why answers to prayer don't always happen. I, I know this. Here's what I and here's what I come to. I trust God's heart. I don't always understand God's process. Right? But I know I believe in God's heart. I, I know his heart. And the process sometimes is a mystery to me. Why some things take longer than others. I don't get that. But I know my dad's heart is that and I know that I'm supposed to be hope that I'm hope I'm actually living hope oops I'm hope right it's living in me and so hope doesn't say well I guess this is, we're just stuck with this this is our plight that's not hope that's broken thinking Christ in me the hope of glory says this is really rough this is bad this stinks and we hate it and we're running towards Jesus, and we're saying, Jesus, come on, we got to get this thing fixed, right? We're looking for something better. That's hope. So, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you live out of brokenness, or do you live out of wholeness? And are we going to stay content with brokenness? Or are we going to claim the wholeness that Jesus died to give to us? I feel like Paul sometimes. He's like, I am fighting over here, man, for you people to get this. I'm fighting for you. I'm strenuously contending for this to happen in your life. The way that I would word it is this. You've heard me say it before. I relate to that. I fight hard. I fast. I pray. I work hard. Everything I do as a pastor, I do with this one thing. I want to be sure that there's not a single drop of Jesus' blood that goes to waste in your life. I want you to have absolutely everything Jesus died to give you. I'm convinced that anything less, anything less than that is cheating Jesus. And I don't want to cheat Jesus. How about you? I don't, want to, I don't want to see Jesus in heaven someday and go, hey, Jesus, thanks for dying on that cross. That whole cross thing was really great. I got half of it. As I look at the scars in his hands. Scars in his hands. Like contemplating what Jesus did. Like, hey, thanks, Jesus. I only took you up on 10% of what you died for. I'm not content with that. I strenuously contend 
to own everything that Jesus died to give to you and me. Amen? Christ lives in you. It's a mystery, Jesus, but I'm asking. Just continuous revelation about it. That we would walk in it more and more and more and more and more. So, Lord, that's my prayer today. And I pray that for my friends here today. That, Lord, we, that there wouldn't be a single drop of your blood, Jesus, that goes to waste in our life. But that we would appropriate it use every bit of it. Lord, we would grab a hold of every bit of it. Spend every bit of it that you gave to us. Thank you, Jesus. I want to ask you, Holy Spirit, right now to reveal to each one of us an area or maybe a few areas where we live out of brokenness. Holy Spirit, just reveal it so that we can bring it to I just feel like the Lord wants to say right now, friends, to you that uh, that that the way that you would know that brokenness is it's a hopeless spot. It's an area there that's hopeless. What in your life do you say, oh, that's never going to change? I'm stuck with this. I'm stuck with this. There's an area of hopelessness. That's you living out of brokenness. And so I invite you now this morning to give that to Jesus. wholeness in your life. Christ in you, the hope of glory, he's got something to do with that. And it's not hopeless. Yeah, that's the bottom line right there. So Lord, please, I pray. In the morning when I 